Hey everyone, it's Father Pat here today to offer you my reflections on the scripture readings for today. Our readings today are from the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time in the B Cycle. A reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Shout with joy for Jacob. Exult at the head of the nations. Proclaim your praise and say, The Lord has delivered his people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them back from the land of the north. I will gather them from the ends of the world. With the blind and the lame in their midst, the mothers and those with child, they shall return as an immense throng. They departed in tears, but I will console them and guide them. I will lead them to brooks of water on a level road, so that none shall stumble. For I am a father to Israel. Ephraim is my firstborn. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our response? The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men dreaming. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with rejoicing. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad indeed. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the torrents in the southern desert. Those that sow in tears shall reap rejoicing. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Although they go forth weeping, carrying the seed to be sown, they shall come back rejoicing, carrying their sheaves. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, every high priest is taken from among men and made their representative before God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal patiently with the ignorant and erring, for he himself is beset by weakness, and so for this reason he must make sin offerings for himself as well as for the people. No one takes this honor upon himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, it was not Christ who glorified himself in becoming high priest, but, ba- but rather the one who said to him, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. Just as he says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent but he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up. Jesus is calling you. 
he threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to him, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Go your way, your faith has saved you. Immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of incredible scientific and technological advances, much of our world is still a mystery to us, right? We, we, we still really don't know how the universe came to be. There are significant debates regarding the Big Bang Theory. We don't know what caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. We still haven't identified uh, many species who live on the ocean floors. And perhaps the greatest mystery of all is this. Who actually watches the Hallmark Channel? I mean, if you were to do a survey of a thousand people, I think probably two or three would admit to, to being a regular viewer of Hallmark movies. And yet, the ratings are somehow remarkable. It's not unusual for a million and a half people to watch the channel during prime time. That might not seem like a lot of people compared to, say, the people that watch NCIS, which averages like 7 million viewers a week. But I mean, it's the Hallmark Channel, right? It's B-level actors performing C-level scripts on a network owned by a greeting card company. Where are these one and a half million people? So obviously a whole lot of somebodies are watching it. And I think one of those somebodies might be you, or maybe it's me or, or both of us. But, but why do we watch it? It's for kind of an embarrassing reason, because it makes us cry. We cry at sappy drama or when we or when we watch a really bad Hallmark movie because somehow we identify with the emotions of the characters that we're watching. What's especially silly about that, of course, is that the people that we're crying about uh, don't, don't actually exist. But something about that fictional person on the TV screen taps into our deeply held and, and maybe kind of suppressed emotions, and we remember uh, some similar pain or sadness or maybe even joyful moment in our own lives. Hallmark movies, I mean, sad to say, really bring out the best in us, our, our empathetic and our loving hearts that often uh, aren't exactly tapped into by most of the stuff that we might choose to watch uh, at other times. So we hear in today's gospel, Bartimaeus crying out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. Now, there's probably not a whole lot of us uh, listening to this podcast that can identify with uh, Bartimaeus in today's gospel, since most of us are not blind. It seems as though the people of Jericho found uh, Bartimaeus to be mostly a nuisance, given how they react when Bartimaeus first starts crying out. It says that many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. So Bartimaeus was kind of annoying. He was like a roadside beggar, and he was there probably forever. And people just got tired of him constantly begging for alms or food or, or whatever he begged for. Yet Bartimaeus, despite being sort of shoved away, persists in his plea, sensing that Jesus will be the one person who will actually listen to him, who will actually be moved by his situation. In fact, the word here translated as pity and have pity on me is uh, the original in the original Greek, a lay son, a lay son. And that word's familiar to us, uh, even us non-Greek speakers, from the penitential rite in the Mass that we sometimes sing in Greek. Kyrie, a lay son. Lord, 
have mercy. Jesus, son of David, have pity or have mercy upon me. Bartimaeus hopes that Jesus will will understand his desperation and his pain deeply enough that he will stop and and actually listen to him and tend to his needs. And Jesus, in fact, does that. He shows the man extraordinary pity, extraordinary mercy. He feels his desperation. And Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? You may remember from last week's gospel that that's the same question that he asked James and John, the apostles, before they asked him for a special place in his kingdom. At that time, we thought James and John were kind of selfish and sensitive and greedy to what Jesus was talking about, his own suffering. And we would hardly put Bartimaeus in the same category. And yet Jesus asks Bartimaeus the same exact question that he asked James and John. Why? Why why does he ask them, all three of them, the same question? Well, the answer is because Jesus really and truly desires all of them, every one of them, to be happy. He wants them to be happy. He wants them to enjoy lasting happiness, to feel lasting joy. And he wants them to know that he understands their deepest longings, maybe better than they understand it themselves. He feels their emotion, he feels their sadness, he feels their frustration, and he feels their pain, and he aches for them. In fact, God desires more for us than we would ever even dare to ask for, or even know to ask for. Our first reading today is from the prophet Jeremiah. You may recall that, uh, for the most part, the story of Jeremiah and his prophecy is pretty unpleasant. He uh, preached to the people of Jerusalem just prior to the invasion of Babylon. The leaders of the people don't want to listen to Jeremiah. They mock him. They taunt him. At one point, they even put him in a stockade. And and they have a nickname for him. They call him Terror terror on Every Side because he's like Chicken Little. He's so insistent that if they don't repent, Jerusalem will be destroyed. Of course, that's exactly what happens. But today's reading is from a short section in his prophecy that reminds the people of God's unconditional love. The vision is of a return from the exile that has yet to come. The exile hasn't happened, but this vision is is a return from that exile. And there are two very interesting details in our reading today. The first is this. I will gather them from the ends of the world with the blind and the lame in their midst, the mothers and those with children or those with child. They shall return as an immense throng. So Jeremiah says, has this vision that the returning exiles will include the blind, the lame, pregnant women, and women with small children. These are individuals that wouldn't travel well. Okay, and presumably not very far because they're they're burdened by one thing or another. But somehow, in miraculous fashion, these least likely to share in the redemption and the joy of the redemption are included. But that's not all. We also hear, Behold, I will bring them back from the land of the north, for I am a father to Israel. Ephraim is my firstborn. Now, remember that Jeremiah isn't preaching in Israel. He's preaching in Judah, which was the southern kingdom after the the split, after the time of Solomon, right? And he's preaching in the year 587 BC or somewhere around uh, that date, because that's the date that Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. 
But his vision of the restoration includes not only the blind and the lame, and those, uh, but also uh, those from the land of the north and from the tribe of Ephraim. He's speaking of the tribes of the former northern kingdom of Israel, which after the United Kingdom of Israel split into Israel and Judah after the death of King Solomon, was conquered by the Assyrian Empire, that empire to the north, about somewhere around 721-722 BC. So Jeremiah, who's normally such a wet blanket, actually prophesies that one day the Israel of Kings David and Solomon will be reunited. And why? Not because of the faithfulness of the people, that's for sure, but because God is a father to Israel, and his loving and merciful heart is stirred by his children's suffering. The people would have never foreseen that there would be a day that that they would return to Jerusalem, that Israel would be reunited as one people, as the original as the twelve tribes of Israel, and that this restoration would include the blind and the lame and women heavy with child. It's way beyond what the people would have ever dared to ask for. You know, we've become so accustomed to the idea of a loving God that we forget that in many ancient cultures, the gods were considered to be these impersonal sort of tyrants who, who cared, didn't care at all, really, about the creatures of this world. The God of Israel, however, reveals himself not only as the one true God, but as a tender parent, a life-giving spirit, and, and yeah, and mysteriously, as an obedient son and a loving brother. While we naturally intend to uh, put human categories on Jesus because it's what we know and understand about ourselves, we know that God is not human, or, or better said, is not merely human. Jesus, of course, is human, but he's not just human, right? But remember, all goodness comes from God. And so whatever is good in humanity is also true of God, because it comes from him, right? And so there, there are, part of our humanity is, is God-like. Remember, we're created in his image and likeness. And so this image uh, that we hear in our second reading of Jesus as the great high priest, it's not just a fantasy. It's not just a just a, an image that we're, we're called to sort of, uh, you know, conjure up in our minds. It, 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 it's really who Jesus is. We hear, it was not Christ who glorified himself in becoming high priest, but rather the one who said to him, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. Just as he says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is truly a priest, but but he's the perfect priest. He, he offers sacrifices for us purely out of love. And, and rather than a priest in the line of Aaron, you know, uh, who is limited by his own sinfulness and his own mortality, Jesus is said to be in the line of Melchizedek, who is a mysterious Old Testament figure from whom uh, who Abraham encounters on his journey a priest who eternally, eternally intercedes on our behalf, a priest with no beginning and no end. And so the tenderness and mercy, eleison, that we manifest in our best moments is continually present in our loving, great high priest. The best part of human nature is who Jesus is, or at least part of who Jesus is, that tender, 
love, and mercy. But his eternal sacrifice will never violate our free will because, because that's also a godlike characteristic of us. It's also free will is, is present in God. God is truly free. He's truly free because he's free to do only the good unstained by sin. Our free will is, is not totally free. It's, it's warped because of sin, because our, our tendency to sin. And so our free will must, must one day or once again be perfected through the redemption uh, so that God's will and God's plan will be accomplished. And the great high priest, Jesus, makes it possible in his loving kindness, in his mercy, in his lay son. And we accept his infinite gift by turning toward him and humbly asking for his help. And that humility comes, frankly, from, from our trials. Bartimaeus recognized his radical Jesus, uh, his radical need for Jesus through his blindness. That's what caused him to turn and cry out for Jesus. For the men and women of Jeremiah's generation, that, that trial was, was, would be in their exile. For you and, and I, well, I'm sure I don't have to spell it out for you. You, you know as well as I do, and you can, and you continue to discover how the Lord's intercession combines with the brokenness of our world to turn your eyes and my eyes to him so that we too cry out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. Kyrie eleison. And he answers, just like he said to James and John, just like he said to Barnabas, with a gaze of love, what do you want me to do for you? Although I'm a huge fan of 80s music, there's not much from that era that could legitimately be called inspiring. However, there was an American group called Mr. Mister that put out a few albums and, and had some success with a song uh, titled Broken Wings. You may have heard it. For me, though, their most memorable song is titled Kyrie Eleison, a track never properly recognized for the overtly religious and universal themes that it captures. It's worth a YouTube search uh, and a prayerful listen if you, if, you, uh, if you have the time. But the song's chorus gives us a taste of, of, of uh, the song and, and, and the meaning. Kyrie Eleison, down the road that I must travel. Kyrie eleison through the darkness of the night. Kyrie eleison, where I'm going, will you follow? Kyrie eleison, on a highway in the night. We know that every word of Scripture is God's word. It's inspired by, and in fact spoken, by God in a particular time and place. Yes, particular time and place, but as the eternal word, it's also true for us. And so we can be strengthened by the joyful words that we hear the psalmist sing today. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men dreaming. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with rejoicing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Those that sow in tears shall reap rejoicing. That day is coming, too, for us. If we never lose faith in our tender-hearted, loving God who desires only our lasting joy, it is he who walks with us on the road that we must travel, through the darkness of the night. Through him, our dreams will turn to joy and laughter.
not even a Hallmark movie marathon can compare. Kyrie, a song. Have a great week. Yeah.